Hi, everyone. This is Aaron Larson, Executive Editor of Power Magazine, and you're listening to The Power Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Mike Burns. He's the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Source One, which is a Veolia Energy Company. Mike, thanks for joining me, and if you don't mind, just tell a little bit about yourself and, and the company. Sure, I'd appreciate it. Thank you very much, Aaron, for having me today. Source One, by background, we are a consultative type of a practice. I was working at the time, this was 15, almost 15 years ago, maybe 16 years ago now, for the TriGen companies. And if you guys remember TriGen, they were big district energy companies, and I was a developer for TriGen. And the corporation decided to move to Houston, and I was based in White Plains, living in New York at the time. And I was not really that interested in moving to Houston. So I met these guys who were running Source One, which was a small engineering firm, engineering consultant type practice based out of Boston. And they were all ex-utility guys. At the time, I think it was uh, Boston Edison. And my boss, the founder of the Casey, uh, the founder of the company, excuse me, he was an account executive for Boston Edison. And he was explaining deregulation to his clients. And he said, there's a business here because nobody understands it. It's really complicated and we're talking about a lot of money, which we certainly were at the time and we still are. So he started, uh, he hung up his own shingle and he started advising people on how to buy commodity. And I met him on a project in New York City. I was the project developer for TriGen and we were doing a job. We were developing a microgrid, which was called the CoGen at the time, for a data center in Manhattan. Remember, this was like early early 2000s, and the dot-com uh, data center world was just going nuts. There were people building everywhere, and there was a lot of people and a lot of money-chasing projects, and nobody understood how to talk to the utility. So Brian Casey, who was the founder of Source One, he brought me in at the time to open the office in New York City, basically by myself. Um, matter of fact, in the same basement I'm sitting at right now, locked down with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that type of work, and then from from doing commodity advising and then started doing data center work. So we were traveling around the country with data center developers, basically being their liaison with the utilities. The guys were out of, out of the Boston Edison shop. I worked for Con Ed for five years earlier in my career, so I knew how to talk to the utilities and what they would look for. And utility guys, want, in, in my opinion, generally, they're trying to do a good job every day. Uh, but they don't like to waste their time. So if they have somebody they can talk to or understand what they're talking about, they're more than happy to help, and which they did. If you come in, like some of these young hotshot data center developers back in the time, they just come in and say, I need 200 megawatts and I need it in six months. And they get laughed out of the door and their paper would go to the bottom of the pile and nobody can understand it. So we acted as a liaison there, advising people on, first off, what do you need? You're not going to grow to 200 megawatts in six months. You may grow to five. And we'll leave some space for you to grow to 20, but you're never going to get to 200 megawatts. And then this is how we deal with the utility, and we move forward from there. So from that, that was, again, 16 years ago. We started doing more work. We started doing more design work, meaning designing interconnections, project management, building projects for customers, doing audit work, uh, general energy efficiency type work, and we started growing from that that energy space. So instead of just advising on commodity, we then advised on people's budgets, 
how to pay your bills, how to then work inside of a building. And once you have all your data, what you're looking for. So how do you look for efficiencies in your equipment that you're running? And then from there, we can say, look, your air handler is not working well. It's past its useful life. If we replace that and we put a VFT and we tie it into your control system, we can save you enough money to pay for that. And they'd say, okay, how do we do that? So Source One can go ahead and do that for you. And then we start building more of our projects on our own. And then we, you know, we were probably 30 or 40 guys at the time. We were bought by Veolia, who was just coming to the U.S. from France. I shouldn't say just coming because they were very heavily involved in both water and waste in the U.S. But they wanted to be in the energy space. And we were their first acquisition in North America. And they bought us and you know, helped us grow. And we helped them grow because our client, we would develop, say we would develop a microgrid for a client. And as it's getting near to completion, they, people would say, well, geez, I don't know how to run this thing. Can you guys help us? And we said, we absolutely can. The only our parent company likes to operate long-term projects. So we would refer them to Veolia, and Veolia could then pick up an operating contract and operate a plant for the client for a long period of time. We did that for two projects at NYU. We did the downtown campus, which was 13.5 megawatts, and we did the uptown campus, which was 6 megawatts. We did one Bryant Park, which is the Bank of America building for the Durst Organization in Manhattan. That was a 5-megawatt gas turbine. So... That part worked very well, both for us and for Veolia. So if you ask where we are today, I'd say we're, we're much larger. We are, as direct source one employees, we're about 120 people, heavily involved in all the same businesses we've started in, that both purchasing commodity, purchasing renewables for people, metering, monitoring, and then doing you know, efficiency work. And then Veolia does operations. And then we continue with monitoring and then efficiency work. It's, it's what I call the virtuous cycle. You start out looking at stuff, getting it to run well, and as things start to pull out of spec or not running the way it was, you can make corrections. It's, it's a bit of a, a full-time retro commissioning. From what I understood in, in kind of researching the company a little bit on the background, uh, you work with a lot of municipalities as well. Can you talk about any projects that you've been doing with them and, and maybe specifically related to power systems? Sure. Veolia is worldwide is we are an environmental services company, which for us means water, energy, and waste. So the water and energy cross over very nicely. So one project we're currently working on is for a municipal water utility in California that Veolia and through and our, one of our partners has a concession agreement to run the water and wastewater utility for 20 years in Rialto, California, which is a small town outside of Los Angeles. And they came to us as the source one part of Veolia wanting to do a microgrid. They had the ability to do an anaerobic digestion on their wastewater plant and create enough, uh, enough anaerobic digester gas, which is basically methane, to run about a two megawatt cogen. So they they first came to us to do a feasibility study. And then we did the feasibility study and it worked it looked like it would work very well for them. And then we submitted for some uh, PG&E grants so we could get some grant money for them. And now we're in, in full design. And that'll get built um, with some grant money and with some of the municipality's money. And it has a you know, very nice payback for them. And it's kind of how we work 
the Source One guys, my team works inside of big violi, as I like to call it, which are the guys who are generally operating these big municipal water and wastewater systems. We've done a ton of work in New Orleans around, we run both their wastewater plants down there in New Orleans, and of course they've they've had flooding problems. It's a different story, which I could go into for, at some other time, but how the guys were down there, you know, recovering from Katrina, which they had you know, 10 feet of water over the entire wastewater plant, so they had to get everything pumped out and then resurrected and redone. Um, but since that time, we've been down there building, they have pumping systems down there that they, they retain Source 1 to work with the Veolia guys and the city guys to put a mini SCADA system on all those pumping systems so that they can actually run them from a central location. Because prior to that, they would have to dispatch people with radios and turn things on and then report, you know, yep, pumping station at corner of Avenue A is running, and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm kind of a little unbelievable, but they didn't have any kind of control system on these things. So we did all of that work for the city of New Orleans. So we are very much the technical resource for Veolia. Veolia has a lot of technical people, but they generally work inside of existing plants. So we work for other clients and we work for Veolia itself sort of as a SWAT team. We go in and we have resources that can go in and help people with specific problems. And most of those problems have to do around, you know, control systems, metering, and efficiency projects. What you see is, I mean, I actually read recently a web post. It's called the death of the dashboard. Because every kid in his college dorm room can build an energy efficiency dashboard, right? Mm -hmm. And it looks great on a computer screen, and they can get some funding, and they can go and try and get it built. They don't know what the process is. They don't know what they're trying to meter or monitor. They don't know how to install a meter, and they don't know how to connect it. They don't, certainly don't know how to talk to an electrician, a union electrician in New York City to get something built, right? And then get it brought back so you can have an analyst look at it and then explain to the client what he's looking at and teach them you know, how to use their own systems. You know, we, don't, we don't necessarily – we are operators as an organization and engineers, but we want our clients to be able to do these things themselves. And then, you know, work on other projects with them. We don't want to have to be looking at things every day. So you want to try and automate those processes as best you can and get your client as educated as he can. Yeah, I'm sure it's a a big benefit to them to understand and have a resource like you that can can explain how the system works and and help them really in training and and, uh, functionality with these different uh, technologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, with the technologies, and we actually, for commercial real estate guys, uh, I'm based in New York City. We have another large office based in Boston, so we do a lot of commercial real estate. And the commercial real estate guys will put in metering systems in for their for their tenants, and we've actually run programs, ed- tenant education programs with the landlords where we go out and we hold seminars and we talk to all their tenants about you know what, what this meter is, what this bill means, and how to lower your energy usage and ultimately your cost. So everybody, you know, it's very much of a win-win on that side of the business. Certainly. Yeah, that was actually one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about was energy efficiency services because I know that's something you guys do with audits and benchmarking, and I'm sure that's a big part of your business. So so what have you done? Uh, are there new technologies that you're using to help improve efficiency? What we've seen is... Metering and control systems, the price points have come down so far over the last 15 years. 
when we first started doing metering, everything was connected on a uh, hardwired phone line, you know, copper. And that was both very slow and very expensive. Now things are done Wi-Fi, remote Wi-Fi devices, tying back into, you know, say, one one collection unit on each floor, which then ties into the building's fiber backbone and goes right out to the Internet. So that was a true game-changer for people, just being able to do the Internet of Things. So that's one. The other thing I'm seeing a lot of is the price point for renewables has come down so far that it's become in everybody's reach. I mean, again, 10 years ago, solar did not have anywhere near the penetration it does now. And we're seeing the same thing with battery storage. So every project we work on right now, instead of just having CHP, which you still need because you need the heat component out of it, it's got typically it'll have a solar and a battery storage component, or at least to start. Everybody wants it, and they make they make great sense, and they have it gives you so much more flexibility in the market and the ability to manage actively manage your electric usage is is huge. Whereas before, yeah, I've been sadly at this for a long time. You just paid whatever the utility your bill was, and there was nothing you could do to manage it or make it lower except use less electricity. Now you can you know, schedule times to use things. If you have storage, you can lower your peaks by the use of your storage. I mean, it, it's just incredible what people can do. Yeah. And I know New York has been really aggressive with policies and, you know, the government trying to encourage renewable growth. Is that a big part for you since you're you're based there? I mean, are you incorporating all of this in and, and helping clients uh, basically tap into the resources that the the state is providing absolutely and those those programs they change almost every day there's a new program or a program's you know fully subscribed and it's not applicable anymore but if you're paying attention you'll know NYSERDA is going to come out with another one next month or Con Ed will have a new program the Power Authority is another great source of funding in New York State if you can get it if you already have Power Authority electricity, which most people don't, but all the governments do. So yeah, and we work very closely with clients, both new clients and old clients, and working on all the local laws that New York has and getting them in compliance and, and, and getting everything they need done. Mm-hmm. And there's two types of people that do that. There's people that check the box. They just want to get their, yeah, get their benchmarking study done. Boom, put it in the file. And then there's other people who look at this and say, yeah, there's, we're looking at this and we're finding problems. How do I fix those? How do I make the building better? And how do I find money? And how do I get the job done? Those are the people we like working with. Mm-hmm. They're trying to actually, they're trying to do something. They're trying to do the right thing. And we're here to help. And of course, you've mentioned a few projects, uh, you know, in New York and, and in New England and California, but I assume you're working all over the country. Do you even work around the globe? My team works North America. So we have some projects in Mexico and some projects in Canada. Fun, and that's only if another if a client takes us there. We don't typically go looking for jobs in, in outside of the you know the forty eight states. Yeah. But we will go anywhere. Like we'll work with you know like a big a, a big biotech will have plants all over the country. And we'll start working with them in Cambridge. They'll like us and they'll say, go look at our plant in Ohio or go look at our plant in North Carolina. Very early on, I did, we developed for Biogen a six megawatt cogen in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which was 
great job. It's been running for the last 15 years. And they insisted they wanted to put one in North Carolina. And I just as vigorously insisted, it makes no sense, guys. You're paying six cents for your electric down there. We went down and we did an audit for them. We came back with the data and we said, guys, doesn't make sense. You know, what you want to do is improve your reliability of your power and replace your boiler plant. The cogen is not going to work down here. Mm. And those are the kind of services we provide to people. We're not out there trying to sell. We're not out trying to sell you know, stuff Things that people that they don't, don't need. need. Yeah. I mean, we want to be there for the long haul. And we talked a little bit about microgrids, but what what is really driving the uh, growth of microgrids? Because we hear about them all the time, and we have a lot of interest. We we do webinars, and it's one of our most subscribed mm-hmm. webinars that we put on. You know, people are signing up because they want to learn more about microgrids. What's what do you think is is really behind that movement? It is people look at them because they are a sustainable solution. They're generally cleaner than what you're buying from the utility, right? Your, your source of power is cleaner. What gets them across the finish line is it adds resiliency. And typically it's less, the life cycle cost is less than your business as usual case. We love, we love sustainability. We love reducing greenhouse gases. We love building resiliency for people. But microgrids are big typically large and expensive and it takes a commitment from the organization and you don't get that unless you've got you're making serious money off them and those are the ones that they're getting built is the ones that have really solid paybacks for people mm-hmm. um, you mentioned a little bit about combined heat and power and i know that's huge probably up in the new york and in new england area where you need that heat during the winter time what do you think mm-hmm. is holding these systems back? How come they're, you know, I know even when Obama was in office, they were really pushing combined heat and power, trying to get more people to use it, getting more cities to install it. But it, that doesn't seem to really take on, uh, doesn't get momentum in the U.S. What do you think is the reason behind that? The general reason is that your utility, frankly, our, our energy costs are too low here. And... My, my biotech example where the project worked great in Massachusetts didn't pencil at all in, in North Carolina. If you're buying power for six cents, there's no reason to stop. I mean, I can save a lot of greenhouse gases. I can be more sustainable because I'm making it there, but I'm, it's actually going to cost me more money, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that. And even when, it, even when there is savings, quite often people want to invest their money in their core production lines, right? I, I, I keep coming back to pharma because we do a lot of work in the pharmaceutical industry. Those guys are typically looking for a two or a three year payback on anything they do. So they'll put another production line in or they'll buy another business and they'll get a, a two or a three year payback out of that. Whereas anything you do in the utility space is you know, five, six, seven years. So those projects don't get funded. And, and unfortunately, cogen projects are like that. That's why people like coming to somebody like a Veolia. We will invest our own money on your site, build you a project, give you guarantees on it, and you just pay us like you do the utility, except you pay us less. So everybody's happy. It's just, it takes time. You have to give up what some perceived control. I wouldn't even call it real control because this is what we do for a living and we have professional operators, whereas, you know, the utility operators are generally good at any place you go. 
but it's not the core business for the corporation. It's not where they want to invest their time or their training. And it's certainly not the glamour job at most places. You know, nobody ever got to be the, you know, the CEO of Pfizer coming through the boiler room. <laughs> no, Whereas you could right. be the CEO of Veolia coming through the boiler room. Right. We're picking up hazardous waste or treating water because that's what we do for a living. Yeah, focus. Continue to focus on your key area, and, and that's probably the, the to the best benefit of the company. And I, we'll, we're seeing much more. We're seeing that. I mean, we've been doing that forever. I mean, I did that back when I was with Trigen 20 years ago. But it's it, it's it's getting more legs. The more people that do it and do it successfully, the more people that will will follow along. Everybody, as you did, nobody wants to be the first, right? So if they say, "Oh, that guy did it," or you know, the plant across the street did it, then how do I how do I get in on this thing too? Right. All right. Well, you've covered a lot of information and some great uh, examples, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up the podcast? One thing is that we are now, you know, Veolia is teaming with one of the very large renewable scale guys in the country, and we're going to be rolling that out uh, shortly to people. But this gives us both CHP and the ability to do solar and wind, both on-site and off-site for people, and bring more financing. So those big projects that you that people want to get done or any of the audience want to get done, those are what we want to talk to people about. If you're a campus and you have old boilers, old chillers, looking for a microgrid and want to do something sustainable and renewable, that's that's where we want to be. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Aaron.